Hi everyone and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host Jen Galler. This week I'm talking with Leah Healing who is a community organizing associate with the Center for Health, Environment and Justice, CHEJ. And the campaign she's working on is called Make Polluters Pay, which is making polluting corporations pay for their contamination. To give some background, there are currently 1,388 toxic waste sites in the United States that are so dangerous they have been designated as Superfund sites by the federal government, but there's no money left to clean up the contamination. Originally, big polluting companies paid into a fund that was used to clean up their messes, But in 1995, Congress let the polluter pay tax expire. By 2003, our Superfund was broke, and ever since, cleanup efforts have been slowed into a crawl while all of us taxpayers are left holding the bag. Today, some of the biggest polluting corporations make billions of dollars per year in profits and paying zero dollars in taxes. As climate change causes more flooding, hurricanes, and other natural disasters, increasing the risk of widespread toxic exposures from these sites. There's no time to waste. And with Leah, we talk about what got her into her organizing work, the Make Polluters Pay campaign, why young people should and are involved in the climate movement, and imagining a better future. To contact and connect with Leah will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, I'm with Leah Healing who is a community organizing associate with CHEJ or Center for Health, Environment, and Justice. And just to start out, could you talk about CHEJ and what you all do? Yeah, so CHEJ is an organization based in Washington, D.C., and we are founded by Lois Gibbs in 1980, about 40 years ago, coming out of her Love Canal fight in upstate New York. And we can maybe talk a little bit more about that, but basically a big fight against pollution that was buried in the ground under a low-income community and harming people's health. And Lois led the charge there to get that waste cleaned up, took about like two years. And that fight resulted in the passage of the Superfund law. So after they won at Love Canal, Lois founded CHEJ as a way to, we kind of say like mentor the movement. So we're kind of a hub for grassroots leaders who are working on Superfund and other environmental justice issues, climate change issues across the country. We do leadership training and support local campaigns and connect folks with the press or EPA and really strive to make our initiatives win at the local level and on the national level. So we're kind of working on multiple steps at once. Awesome. Yeah. And what specific campaigns are you currently working on and what's some of their background and significance? Totally. Yeah. So I've been at CHEJ for about a year now and kind of moved up, started off as just like a communications intern. And now I'm leading the Make Polluters Pay campaign for CHEJ. So coordinating that Make Polluters Pay is basically a campaign that is trying to reinstate a tax that's called the Polluters Pay Tax. And For some background, this tax is actually a part of the original Superfund law that was passed in 1980. It was the way that these cleanups of contaminated communities were funded. And that's why the program is called Superfund. It was actually this fund, a pool of money that was coming from taxes on big companies that were using chemicals that are harmful to people's health. And for the first 15 years that the Superfund program was around, 
the tax worked. There was money in the super fund that was then being allocated to clean up these sites. Then in 1995, Congress decided not to renew the tax. It failed to renew it. And by 2003, the funds were depleted. So that that trust fund, that Superfund was completely broke. And so since 2003, all the money to clean up Superfund sites has been coming from actual taxpayer dollars. So just like general appropriations that EPA has in its budget and EPA's budget has been cut as well. So you can imagine the, the impact that that has had. So not only are like polluters profiting from dumping their chemicals on poor people and people of color and then like walking away declaring bankruptcy or just like getting rid of the responsibility for that they're actually not being held accountable for the cleanups it's the public that's paying for that and because there's less funding a lot less cleanups have been being completed there's actually a really great report that came out that was analyzing the performance of the Superfund program since the polluters pay tax expired. And that's where we have been able to get a lot of like the numbers about what impact not having the polluters pay tax has had on the program. But it's really leaving a lot of communities still suffering from these health effects and just ongoing exposure and getting really frustrated trying to organize around getting these sites cleaned up and just facing EPA and EPA can't really do anything about it. Their hands are tied because they don't have the funds to clean up all these sites. So what we're trying to do is bring back the polluters pay tax. We believe that is really going to be able to revitalize a Superfund program and kind of put the muscle back into it, as well as really speed up these cleanups. So holding polluters responsible and yeah, cleaning up neighborhoods that have been hurting for way too many years. There are some super fun sites that have been on the national priorities list for over 40 years since the program was founded and they still haven't been cleaned up. So we really need to bring back this polluters pay tax and it would be a huge win for the entire environmental justice movement and also just for working class people everywhere because that is the sector of our population that these issues affect. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And yeah, with that campaign, the polluters who have, you know, declared bankruptcy or have left and kept this, you know, polluted site, are you trying to tax them for like the past pollution? Or are you trying to do like future polluters or is it kind of both? Yeah, that's a really good question. So Superfund, it's kind of complicated once you get into like the ways that the law actually functions. And I'm certainly not like a legal or policy expert, but the way I understand it, Superfund is a really powerful law and it has a lot of like rules and mechanisms in it that EPA can use to hold specific polluters that are responsible for contamination at a specific site accountable for that pollution. The polluters pay tax, however, is like a more general part of the program that provides the overall funding that allows EPA to then go in and get certain sites cleaned up and, you know, have power in negotiations with polluters. So the way the tax actually works is it's two components. The first is taxes on companies that 
deal with specific pollutants. So like if you manufacture, if you transport, if you like use them in any way, you're going to be taxed a specific amount based on what type of chemical it is. And that's for any size company. It could be like your dry cleaners next door or like Exxon Mobil. And then the second part of it is a general tax on any big companies. And the threshold that they use for that is about $3 million in income per year. So that's like a a significant chunk of money. And the tax that we're asking them to pay is like about the price of a pizza. So it's really not like companies that are making over $3 million can definitely afford to pay this. And if they're that big, they're certainly contributing to the problem with, you know, if they use styrofoam cups in the office or they're part of that economy. And so the idea is that by gathering money from these corporations that are contributing to the presence of these chemicals, EPA will have the backing of this big pool of money so that when they come to the table with a polluter at a specific site, they're more threatening. They actually have power behind their words, like their words aren't empty. For example, one really, really awesome rule that's in the Superfund law is called triple damages, I think. Yeah, triple damages. And basically, if a company that's responsible for polluting at a specific site isn't willing to fund the cleanup or is trying to stall, EPA can actually go in and with their own money, do the cleanup themselves. And then afterwards charge the polluter three times as much as what it costs them to do the cleanup. But imagine if they don't have the money to go in and do that cleanup up front, then that threat of we'll charge you triple the bill is empty because they can't go in and do it in the first place. So that's a like a really, really powerful and amazing part of the law that we're just not able to take advantage of right now because we don't have that muscle. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And also just like super important work that you all are doing and going to my next question. So how did you, you said you've worked at CHEJ for about a year now. So how did you get involved in community organizing and the environmental movement? Yeah, totally. So the way that I found CHEJ was through a school project. I was taking a class on environmental health and we had to do a little presentation on like an activist or a leader in the environmental health movement. And that's how I found out about Lois Gibbs. And this was actually during COVID. This was last summer. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted to take some time off from school. I wasn't feeling excited about going and doing my classes online. And I was like, okay, if I get an internship or get a job, I'm, I'm not going to go back to school. And so I had learned about CHEJ through that project. And so I just reached out to them and turned out that they had an opening. And so that's how I got involved specifically with CHEJ. And from there, I, I was just so drawn in by CHEJ's approach and the way that they talked about and engaged with these issues of environmental justice. So I'm originally from a small town in Western Massachusetts, like kind of in the woods. It's a college town. My dad works as a counselor in the athletic department at the school. And my mom does like another type of social work. So I grew up like very close to the woods and grew up in a family where people were really valuing like service and being a part of a community and helping people. And so I think I naturally got interested in environmental issues and also was just kind of thinking about how I could 
use my efforts and my work to make the world a better place for all of us. And as I started, you know, like taking some classes about environmental issues and things, I was just noticing how whitewashed a lot of what we talk about in like the mainstream environmental movement is. And so I was really looking for a way to be engaged in environmental spaces, but in a way that acknowledged the fact that environmental issues are really about power. And along with power comes race and class and gender. And I think a lot of the times, like when we're talking about CO2 concentrations and looking at graphs and talking about renewable energy and politics on the hill and like that kind of thing it really removes that element of like the movement and imagining what kind of future we want in terms of not just what we want the environment to look like but how we want to treat each other and how we want to live communally in a society and I think CHEJ really I really found that at CHEJ I found this like holistic view of how working towards environmental justice is really working towards every type of justice and uplifting the voices and demands of people who are in the multiracial working class. And it's been such an amazing learning experience for me. And I'm excited to see where where else I can go from here. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And I totally agree with like everything you said. And it's cool that you found CHEJ through an environmental health class that you were taking. And that class sounds pretty interesting too. So yeah, why do you think it's so important for, you know, youth and the younger generation to care about climate and, you know, environmental justice? Totally. I was thinking about this earlier today as I was kind of like going to the grocery store and driving. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it's funny because a lot of times I think people say like, well, it's young people's burden because like we're the ones who are living in this polluted warming world but at the same time like I think for me what drives my interest in engaging in this issue is more like continuing the work that people before me have done and that people Mm -hmm. are doing now and continuing to engage in these questions about what type of world we want to live in and really being able to come together and imagine something different and I think that that idea of regular people coming together to imagine what a world that puts their needs and interests first would look like has existed for such a long time, especially like I've learned more about like abolition movements and that idea of like imagining futures and just breaking down the barriers that close us into the world as it is. There's so much synergy there between this idea of imagining a different way of living with the environment and a different way of living like without prisons or without the police. And so I think for me, it's for young people, it's really like we have our whole lives ahead of us. And so we're even better equipped to kind of feel that sense of hope of like, okay, I really could imagine things changing. I think that's what really drives me to be a part of this. It's like, by the time I'm old, I know I will have passed on like this knowledge and worked to the next generation but it's like can we imagine something along the way 
Yeah, I love that. And I like what you said about like carrying on what the people before us have done within the like climate movement and environmental justice movement. So I like that. And young people, I think, too, are just seeing more value in it. And, you know, it is super important. And I like what you said about that. So what would you suggest for youth or anyone else who wants to get involved in this work but doesn't exactly know how or what avenue to take? Yeah, totally. I think for me, like a lot of the best ways that I've gotten involved was like engaging with the communities around me. So like just not being afraid to start conversations with your family and friends about questions you're wondering about or like something that you read somewhere that you want to like mull over with someone or or like sharing your views with someone who you might not necessarily agree with like all of those things are such good practice for understanding yourself better and understanding the importance of just talking to people because that's really the basis of any type of organizing is just like we're talking to folks and seeing where we have common ground and the other thing I would say is just like go for it like the the way that I ended up working where I am now is just by like cold emailing someone that I had come across for a school project. So like set your sights high and don't be discouraged by failure. And there's like so many different things that you can do in the world and places you will end up along the way. And I think we shouldn't be afraid because we're young or because we haven't had certain experience that's like traditional along a career path or, you know, your, your personal growth. Yeah. Believe in ourselves and go big. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And is there anything we missed or didn't talk about that you would like to discuss? Yeah, I'll say one more thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in terms of the your question about why young people are particularly apt to get involved. The other thing I think that drives me to work on climate and environmental issues is kind of this notion that we're, it's kind of like the existential crisis idea, but more like a a time where there's even more possibility for fundamental changes to happen in the way that our society works. And I think that's where I draw a lot of motivation to get involved in climate issues specifically, because we are, we're going to have to switch to renewable energy and Mm -hmm. we're going to have to build climate resilient cities and all of these changes simply have to happen. And I think there's growing consensus about that fact, but there's still a question of like how those shifts will happen and whose interests will be put first. And it's possible that the people who are getting rich off of oil and gas right now and the companies that are polluting Superfund communities are going to be the same folks who get rich off of renewable energy and the shift to a world changed by the climate crisis. But it's also possible that we could use these changes as an opportunity to really raise our voices and make the systems more equitable. So I think there really is an opportunity to fundamentally change the way things work. And that's really exciting to me. And that's ultimately what I think I share with a lot of other young people who are involved in the climate movement. It's like, it seems like there's a possibility that with climate, we can address so many other types of inequalities as well. And that's really exciting. Yeah, it's kind of all comes down to like money at a point too. (laughs) 
where people aren't wanting to switch to renewables. People are wanting to, you know, clean up these super fun sites because of money. (laughs) Yeah. So just putting priorities first. And yeah, like you said, seeing a future where fundamentally things change and values shift as well is very key in all of this and just very important and significant in all of this as well, as you said. I totally agree with you that it's about money. And I think like in my own personal life, that's a lot of what I would like to see change. Like I, I want my kids to have free college and Mm -hmm. not have to work minimum wage jobs to pay for groceries and rent, like while going to school, because that's, that's the reality that I'm in right now. And I think when I'm working with folks who have it really bad, who are living, living near a site, a super fun site, that's giving them cancer and giving their kids asthma and all of that. It's really important for me to remember. I've learned that I actually have a lot in common with those folks because we're all ultimately getting the short end of the stick in different ways, but we are, and that shouldn't be the case. And if we don't want that to be the case, then we really need to see how our interests are really more alike than they are different and fight together for something different. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. That's great. I love that. And just my last question is how can people contact or connect with you if they have questions? Oh yeah, sure. Definitely check out the CHEJ website to learn more about the Make Polluters Pay campaign and the other work that we do. And you can also reach out to me by email just my first and last name at gmail.com or look me up on any social media. Should be able to find it just by searching. Thank you so much to Leah for talking with me. If you want to contact her or CHEJ, I'll leave their contact information in the show notes below. And tune in next week where we'll continue our Youth in the Climate Movement season. Thanks and have a good week, everyone.